Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 230 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. So pleased that you are with me today as I talk to Erica Roebuck on the magic of doing research, including some of the more virtual research, like research on YouTube, for example. Uh, We had a great chat, and I know that you are going to enjoy listening to her impart some wisdom on us. So before we get to that, what's going on around here? Uh, Moving. Moving is going on around here. We are deep in the middle of it. I'm pretty much done with my office, um, and my office holds everything that I own, except for my desk. I'm still sitting at my desk. I have this gorgeous, antique, roll-top desk. Seriously, if any of you in the Bay Area want a roll-top desk, hit me up, um, because I'm going to put it on Craigslist soon. But it's got, it must have... 25 or 30 little drawers and there's things in all the drawers. So I need to go through and make myself a desk kit. It's going to be one box of stuff that I'll put in the shipping container, the shipping box that we're shipping to ourselves. So I'll get that in four or five months after we move. And then I'll hold mostly post-its. You know that. I'm not throwing out my post-its. I know I can get them in New Zealand, but I already have them, so I'm shipping them. Uh, But then what I'm really excited about is to make a little uh, container of desk now. The things that I use on a daily basis, the things that I reach for, which include post-its and pencils and my tarot cards and, you know, my glasses wipes, those kind of things. I'm going to have to bring, of course, my podcasting mic. But then after I get rid of all of the other stuff, then I can sell the desk. And that's really the last big piece of furniture in this room, apart from a very small sofa, which (laughs) honestly is just going to get tossed at the end because um, I've been using it for so long and we have pets and it's scratched up. So other than that, I'm pretty much packed. That is not to say the house is in any way packed. We have both been focusing on our own offices since in our offices, we keep our clothes, we keep all of our things. Our our bedroom is just for sleeping. There's really not much in there. But the rest of the house has things like, you know, the kayaks in the in that one closet. And, and uh, so that's, oh, the kitchen. Oh my God, the kitchen. That's going to be fun. Um, but right now outside, I hope you don't hear it, but we have somebody fixing stuff up and power washing. We're going to get the house painted outside and in. It's just all really sinking in. We're spending real money now to get things done. So now it's it's just been terrifying. <laughs> I know I keep talking about how terrifying and scary this is, but it is. It really is. It's also exhilarating and exciting, and I can't wait to make this move to New Zealand. But um, uh, one of my students shared this with us uh, last week, and the phrase is just, do it scared. And I have that on a post-it on my desk right now. Where am I going to put my post-its? I don't know. But do it scared is my motto right now. We do it. We do it scared. We do this with our books, with our writing. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know how to do it. We don't know if we will ever succeed. We don't know if we're good enough. In fact, we think we're not. And we do it anyway. We do it with this pit of fear in the bottom place of our soul. And we show up and we take the steps 
to get these things done. Um, yeah, writers are brave. Writers are courageous. We have to be. We have to be hopeful and courageous to, in order to do this really wild thing that nobody else wants to do. Uh, so if you're feeling scared about what you're doing with your writing, good. That means you're exactly in the right place. There's this beautiful David Bowie quote that I slaughter every time I try it. I should just memorize it. Um, but he basically says, right when you feel like your feet can't touch the bottom of the swimming pool, that's when you're in the right place. I feel that so often in my own writing, and I know you probably do too. And I definitely feel like that in my life right now. Um, so that's going on. I had some health stuff crop up over the week that kind of knocked me out for a few days. Uh, that sucked, but I'm, I'm up and better now and um, still doing fine on the health stuff. So no diagnosis, and I believe I'm not going to have a diagnosis. I believe whatever sickness I had for those almost three months, I don't think they're ever going to figure it out. And I'm becoming okay with that. The more exploratory tests they do, unable to find things, really, the happier I am. It's frustrating, but it's really also very, very awesome. Uh, but last week I did get the shot. Uh, I got the um, vaccine. I got the one dose, Johnson & Johnson. Um, my hyperactive immune system really kicked up a storm and I got real sick. And also that was, you know, thank you, immune system, making those antibodies. Uh, yeah, because of one of my medical conditions, I was on the list to get it and I got it. Lala does not have it yet. My wife does not have it. Um, she'll hopefully get it within the next month or two. And But it does feel nice to have. It's anticlimactic. I just want everybody to have it. But that's all. I just want everybody to have the vaccine and that will be really, really great. Uh, but that's, that's coming. Uh, what else is going on? I'm gearing up for the launch of Hush Little Baby. Um, I got some artistic assets as they call them today. And they're just really cute images that you can put on Instagram or Pinterest or whatever of your book. And the nice thing is when you're with a traditional publisher, if you decide to go that route, that's one of those things they do for you. They give you the artistic assets and thank God for that because I like to use Canva for the stuff that I do myself, my self-published books, um, but it's nice to have somebody else send that to you. So they're doing things like giveaways and and um, so that is starting. I'm trying to be present for that, trying to show up at the desk, even though life is literally in disarray in several different arenas, I still got to show up at the desk and write. I still have to show up to the desk and think about marketing. I still have to show up. I get to show up at the desk and teach. That's I love doing that. Life just doesn't stop spinning because we get busy. We just get busier. And that is fine. Do it scared. Do it scared. I'm trying to go a little bit easy on myself. I hope that you are exploring some of that too. I'm thinking a lot about the seasons of writing. And I have more than more than a few students right now in my classes who are really hitting a wall. And I think it has to do, I'm guessing, this is my guess, I think it has something to do with this year of the pandemic. It's really slapping us all in the face that uh, we've lost an entire year to this in so many ways. And the, and the smallest thing we could lose from this is a year. So many of us have lost so much more than just a year. And this particular stress has, is just accumulated to the point where um, for 
a lot of people, it is hard to write right now. And I want to remind you that there are seasons. There are seasons of writing. I love to teach these 90-day classes because 90 days is a great season. You can go hard. You can work hard. You can um, bond with this community and work your ass off and have something to show for it at the end. You can't do 90 days to blast through everything every 90 days. You have to recuperate. Winter will come. My last Patreon essay that I wrote um, was about the book Wintering, which I highly recommend, and about my type of wintering and how we have to remember that trees, like a really, a really good hardworking tree outside. I may have said this on the podcast. I apologize if I have, but a very hardworking tree, your favorite tree out on the sidewalk. Um, if it is a tree that normally loses its leaves in the fall, it doesn't get to decide just to try really hard and work harder and produce the leaves all through the winter. It doesn't get that choice. It has to winter. We all have to winter at some points. And right now, even though we're going into spring in this hemisphere, I feel people are wintering, are needing to winter. If you have been working your ass off, it might be time for a goddamn break, is what I'm telling you, my friends. Um, it's different than not wanting to write. Not wanting to write, hating writing, hating what you're writing. That's just, that's any day of any season. Uh, but hitting a wall and needing to take care of yourself more than needing to get to the page, it's normal. That's part of the writer's life. So if you're there, you're not doing it wrong. You're living this part of the writer's life and wintering is included in that. You must winter sometimes. So um, take heart, take care of yourself, write when you can. And when you do, come find me on the internet and tell me about it. I really love hearing about your writing. Okay, my friends, enjoy this interview. I know you will. And we will talk soon. Do you wonder why you're not getting your creative work done? Do you make a plan to write and then fail to follow through again? Well, my sweet friend, maybe you'd get a lot out of my Patreon. Each month I write an essay on living your creative life as a creative person, which is way different than living as a person who binges Netflix 20 hours a week, and I have lived both of those ways, so I know. You can get each essay and access to the whole back catalog of them for just a dollar a month which is an amount that really, truly helps support me at this here writing desk. If you pledge at the $3 level, you'll get motivating texts from me that you can respond to. And if you pledge at the $5 a month level, you get to ask me questions about your creative life that I'll answer in the mini episodes. So basically, I'm your mini coach. Go to patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, to get these perks and more. And thank you so much. Okay, well, I could not be more pleased to welcome to the show Erica Roebuck. Hello, Erica. Hello, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. I am not done with your book yet, but I have not been able to put it down since I picked it up yesterday. So it is just so fantastic. And I can't wait to talk to you about it. Let me give you a little intro. Erica Roebuck is the national best-selling author of Hemingway's Girl, 
Call Me Zelda, Fallen Beauty, The House of Hawthorne, and Receive Me Falling. She is a contributor to the anthology Grand Central, Post-War Stories of Love and Reunion, and to the Writer's Digest essay collection, Author in Progress. She writes satire, hashtag hockey strong, as e-roebuck. Her latest novel, The Invisible Woman, the one I'm reading, is about real-life superwoman of World War II, OSS, SOE agent Virginia Hall. In 2014, Roebuck was named Annapolis's Author of the Year, and she resides there with her husband, three sons, and a spunky miniature schnauzer. So I'm just so glad to have you on the show. I One of my favorite genres to read are these historical novels that are based in truth. Yeah. And just before we get into writing, which is what this podcast is all about, um, how did you find out about her? How did you fall in love with her? Well, I was going through trying to find people that were from Maryland who were important to me. And <sighs> I've written books about women in the shadows of men. So I've written uh, Mrs. Fitzgerald, Zelda yeah, Fitzgerald, yeah. Mrs. Hawthorne. And an editor had said to me, find a woman who's special in her own right, who's not in a man's shadow, but yeah. who's definitely remarkable. And around that time, I found Virginia Hall from Baltimore. I live in Maryland, um, who grew up where I did. And I don't, I didn't know how I'd never heard of her before because her story is so extraordinary. If I made it up, you just wouldn't believe it. Yes. I don't know the date that I found her. I just, I'm so thankful that I did. And she just like took over your life and your imagination. And, Absolutely. and you write her with such beauty that she is just so three-dimensional and I could just feel everything that she's feeling. Right. And I appreciate that from you. Can you tell us a little bit? So you're wildly prolific, obviously. What is your writing process like? Yeah. What, how do you get it done? Yeah, my now that my sons are a little older, I try to work while they're either in virtual school or online or at, at school. They're in a hybrid situation right now. So I pretty much work um, nine to one every day is my mm -hmm. writing time. And then I come out of the office blinking and see to food and exercise and domestic activities and interacting with children. <laughs> but that's the time I try to carve out every morning. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's really important that I keep that. So that's Monday through Friday. Um, and then, you know, I have like a whole setup. I have classical music. I have a candle. This whole desk is kind of like an altar. Uh, so, you know, I have my, I hypnotize myself and then I set my alarm. So I do remember to go pick people up from school because I've definitely missed that before. <laughs> When you're, when you're in the past, it's hard to come out back to the present. Yes. I use my echo device for that. You know, people feel different ways about having those in their house and I don't like to have it in my house, but my wife insisted on it, but now I use it for everything for, awesome. and especially for writing. I set it to set the alarm because you don't have to think very hard. You just say it and then she'll yell at you when you need to go, there you go. run the errand that you have to do. Yeah. I do it on my little, on my watch here and it buzzes and won't let you stop. So otherwise I don't know how we would get anything done. Yeah, right? exactly. What is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? Well, when I'm in the drafting process, I really have to crawl into the skin of the characters. And, you know, as a writer, when you, that, that process is very different from revising or editing. Yes. And um, it's hard for me to go into that world, to go into World War II, occupied France, Virginia Hall, and then to come out and to go to the carpool line and interact with human beings in the grocery store. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So that's the biggest challenge for me is in the drafting phase when it's almost, uh, I don't want to say method acting, but you know, you're just not in your own head as much as in someone else's. Um, so that's, that's a real challenge to, to balance that. I, I like that you called it method acting. We really do kind of do that when we get very deep into it. Yeah. And I've, you know, when, when you're 
moving through your office, like trying to act things out and how does your body yeah. move and would her arm actually reach that far? And, <laughs> and your character has a prosthetic leg and, um, oh, it's fantastic. What is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? Uh, my biggest joy is definitely, I call it the fifth day. So four days are a total slog and I'm agonizing over every word and I'm interrupted a thousand times by myself and everything else. But on the fifth day, you know, I go into the zone. So yeah, five hours pass. I do, mm. I'm late to pick people up. I don't know what happened. It barely needs to be edited. So I'm always, the writer high on the fifth day is what I'm always chasing. But you have to do the really bad four days before that to get to the fifth day. I absolutely love that. And I think that my personal schedule is something very similar to yours. And it reminds me, my mom always said, and I have no idea if this has any basis in fact at all, but she always said that there's a big wave and then six smaller ones. And the seventh wave is always the big one. And when we were like avoiding things on the beach, we would run around the rock right after the big wave because we'd have six waves to do it. And it kind of sounds the same as yours. Absolutely. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. And I wish I could get, I wish we could program in to have that fifth day more regularly. But what I like talking about um, this is because there are so many people who will be listening who are like, it's supposed to be easy every day. How would you, what would you tell them about that? I would say, you know, just the old button chair advice that you have to, you can't wait for the muse. You have to yes. be in the place where it can find you. You, you can't just wait for it to find, you know, chase you down. It's not going to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a little bit, I don't know, it's almost like finding a radio frequency. And, or, you know, I think about Virginia Hall and trying to find the frequency to yes. contact London. It yes. takes a lot of misses and a lot of static but then you find it so you can have that day of transmission. And, you know, my best writing days, I don't feel like I'm writing at all. I'm just, I just feel like I'm channeling. So, um, but to do that, you have to really practice finding the channel. So I really love that analogy too. And it fits so beautifully with Virginia. Can you share a craft tip of any sort with us? Um, I was thinking a lot about that today and for those who don't have resources to travel, my and also now where so so many of us can't travel, um, my greatest resource is video and using uh, YouTube. I, this is strange, but I have a Nordic Track treadmill that lets me go to the Pyrenees, so I can walk the trails close to where she walked. Wow! I can walk through Lyon. I can go to Les Chambons sur Lyon and because I have access to this technology. So for me, for writers, if you can access YouTube videos about settings, character, if there's, if you're lucky enough to have a character who's on tape, um, access all of that because it really animates everything for me. It helps me a lot. And if I don't have it, so I don't have any video Virginia Hall, but I imagine who I would want to play her in the movie. So for me, it would be Katrona Ball from Outlander uh, who plays Claire. And if I just watch her do a couple of scenes, maybe during the World War II time period, it helps put me in the zone a little bit easier. I absolutely love the idea of being able to walk through that scenery with the Nordic track. How very, 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 very cool is that to put yourself there that way? Oh my goodness. I, uh, I wanted to... I wanted to go somewhere down a track, but I'm having a hard time focusing today because I'm excited about everything, including your book. Um, (laughs) What thing in your life affects your writing in a surprising way? 
Um, I'm so much surprised by how, well, my family, first of all, and sometimes I'm intentional about it and sometimes I'm not. But for example, my sons, I got all three of their names into Hemingway's Girl for characters as a little wink to them. And then my youngest son, when he was little, he used to always say, remember, remember. And he said it so often that I put that in one of the character's child's mouth. So I would never forget how he always wanted me to remember things. Uh, so that was in Fallen Beauty. Um, so usually so it's, beautiful. it's kind of just trying to put little, little winks in there and get them into the, into the fiction. I and love then, that. Know, the other ones I don't plan. I, I have kind of a devotion to different saints and sometimes they show up in the writing and I don't plan on them. So I, I have a, a great interest in Padre Pio. He had a, the stigmata, he had bilocation, all these strange mystical things. And he showed up and called me Zelda without my plan. And <laughs> I ended up talking to my editor and she's like, no, it works. You have to leave it there. But it's, it's strange how these little things assert themselves. And that's, that's the fun of writing historical fiction because it's not biography. I don't have to be perfectly faithful to the letter. I do have a little bit of space. Um, not a lot, but a little bit. So. And it sounds like you get to follow your passion and follow your interest when that pops up. Yeah. 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 I do remember what I was going to ask you about um, in terms of research, since these are based in the French countryside and very, very yeah. clearly based there. What kind of research did you have to do or have you done? Or do, can you just do it from the Nordic track or have you been there? Oh, no, it's a little bit of everything. And yeah. because she was a spy, she didn't want to be found. Yeah. She said it very clearly in interviews later in her life. People would try to hunt her down. She would say no. And she was operative in the CIA until her mandatory retirement at the age of 60. <gasps> Holy she, cow. Yeah. So she really wanted to remain in the shadows. But now here we are. So they declassified her files at the National Archives. So I was able to go to College Park and go through all of those. It was amazing. Um, I applied to be a researcher at the CIA and they let me come in there. I got to see her distinguished service cross, her passport, a wireless transmitter. <gasps> um, you know, uh, the that just give me training. goosebumps yeah. that you got to see and touch those things. Even though, even if you were wearing gloves, you got to, you got to be there with them. I got to be there. And, um, and then there's, there's a lot of uh, spy craft fiction. There's a lot of books about women at that time and the SOE and the OSS. Um, I found a French language book about one of the McKee who worked directly with her, who actually had a contentious relationship with her. So it was really interesting to see that um, and helpful. But the best thing was uh, meeting with her niece. She has, her niece lives in Baltimore. And so Lorna and I met for lunch three or four times. And she let me see all of these family photos and family documents. And she was so generous with her time. So how does how does she feel about seeing her aunt portrayed in these ways? She, she love it. it. Yeah. She loved it. And you I'm sure you know too with the phenomenon, the collective unconscious, when something yes. comes up, it comes up. Yes. And so Virginia Hall, Lorna said to me, nobody knew about my aunt. And all of a sudden, I was getting calls from writers, biographers, filmmakers. And sure enough, the film A Call to Spy just came out. Uh, there's a woman of no importance, the biography. There's a movie based on that coming out. There's my book. There, there's just all of a sudden, it's like her stars rising. <laughs> so, Which is so cool that people yeah. will really, really know her and yeah. be able to follow her with your words. That is yeah. so exciting. Do you miss her now that you're not writing her? Um, absolutely. And I, and she hasn't left me yet. So my, my follow-up book, I've got two books right now with Berkeley. The first one was The Invisible Woman. And then early next year, we'll have the follow-up, which, which is as yet untitled, but it's another SOE female and then another American woman who helped smuggle pilots out of France. 
Virginia Hall showed up in the draft. <laughs> of, course, of course she did. She muscled her way into the SOE offices and, and, and you, you don't plan on it. And one of the men said, oh, she's not very approachable. And it just made me laugh because it, I, I didn't plan on her being there, but she's like, oh, I will be there. <laughs> I'm thinking that sometimes when, you know, Virginia walks on for you or when the saints walk on, that might be one of your fifth days when you're Absolutely. just receiving. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. And I sent, I sent to my editor and my agent, I was like, look who showed up in the new book. And they all thought it was funny, you know, so all these beautiful, beautiful yeah. Things. Oh, it's the, the magic of being a writer. Okay. Speaking of awesome books, what is the best book you've read recently? And oh, why did you I love it? Evangelist for Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. Never even heard of it. No. Uh -uh. Oh my Hamnet. H-A-M-N-E-T. All one word. Hamnet. Yes. Okay. Who is Shakespeare's son who died of the plague. Oh, I didn't and, know that. Uh, whom he based Hamlet off of. And the name Hamnet and Hamlet are kind of interchangeable in the documents of the boy's life. Wow. Um, it is phenomenal. I, I don't, I can't even describe it. I was so greedy for it. I couldn't put it down. I devoured it. And then as a writer, I'm so jealous. How did I not, how can I not write like this? How did I not think of this? You know? <laughs> so it's just, um, it's so good. And I think it won every award last year. So I haven't I, even I, heard of it. I must, I must be off in my own cloud somewhere, but yeah. yeah, it's, you don't have to care about Shakespeare or historical fiction. It's just a phenomenal book. I love both deeply. So I am very wow. excited. That's going to go to the top of my list after I finish yours. So you <laughs> thank you. Okay. Now, so let's talk about you and this book. Can you give us kind of the, the pitch, the log line for this book for people who haven't heard of it? Well, I, I just do it as simply as possible. She's the real life superwoman of World War II who helped to, uh, you know, best the Nazis, liberate mountain villages and arm and train thousands of guerrilla fighters <laughs> with a prosthetic leg she called Cuthbert, by the way. So are you really, you just, it's silly. Every time my editor would say, did she really do that? And then I would say, yes. Did she really I, do that? I kept thinking that as, I, as I've been reading through, like, is that something that she made up? Because the writer's brain asks that, but yeah. apparently a lot of it is real. Yeah. So her, will you tell us a little bit about her personality though? I think that's why I'm enjoying her so much is she is not a, by any means, cardboard cutout of a strong woman. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that because wrestling with her has been one of the big challenges of this book in particular. I can imagine. Yeah. And I kept getting feedback from beta readers and she's like, oh, she's just not likable. Oh, I, I loved her instantly. So I don't know how you pulled that off because I can see, well, I can see the unlikability but I loved her instantly. Well, that's how I felt about her, but it was really a problem for a lot of people okay. because she is, she's prickly. Yes. I mean, and her, niece, her niece described her as intimidating and scary smart. There's nobody who ever called Virginia Hall likable, but because she is the protagonist of a novel, we have to root for her. We have to yeah. sympathize with her. And my editor brilliantly said, let's see Virginia before the war losses, before she shot off her foot, before the survivor guilt, post-traumatic stress. Let's see young Virginia. And so we brought in the prologue where she goes to study in Paris and she falls in love with Paris. It's her first time out in the world and she, the, she's gonna take the world by storm. She's gonna travel and she speaks all these languages. And uh, so we see her very young and starry eyed. And then in chapter one, I just right into the fire. It's second mission, first mission, all that network has been decimated. People are dead. And she is a, a cold shell of her former self. So I want the reader to say, what happened? And you will find out. <laughs> that is exactly what you did. And I had actually forgotten about that prologue because it had just, 
I just filed it away in my head. Right. And, um, and I'm always talking to students about that whole uh, save the cat idea that we have yeah. to give the reader just that subconscious nod that this is a good human being that you will yeah. not regret spending your time with. And you did that the way her father lifts her up on his shoulder and shows, wasn't, wasn't it like Paris at dawn? He shows Paris her Paris at dawn. dawn. Yeah. And then she helps her friend at the party, tucks her friend in, makes sure she's safely home. So you see yes. she cares for people. She takes care of people. So and you yeah. saved the cat with that moment. And that is, I, I, I know that that's why I saw her as unlikable as this woman, the shell of a woman. And I also love her. Good. And um, then it worked because that yeah. wasn't in there until very late in the writing. It just, we, we had to get it in there. And what it ended up doing it also is bookends the epilogue very nicely with uh, a major plot point. Don't tell it me I'm not there yet. Of, yeah, I won't. <laughs> they juxtapose each other. And I think they help bring completion um, and round out her character. So it, it actually worked out really well. But that my editor had that idea and it was brilliant because I, I just, I, I didn't want to make her something she wasn't, right. but I needed the reader to root for her. So. And it is literally a psychological trick that we yeah. play on the reader to get them to come along with us. And it works beautifully. And I didn't see, I, it, it worked on me and I'm always looking for those kind of things. Oh, so. good, good. Fantastic. Where can we find the book and where can we find you? We can, uh, wherever books are sold, um, at, I've signed about a jillion copies for Bethany Beach Books, which is an independent bookseller yeah. in Delaware. They ship anywhere. Um, and I also have signed copies for A Likely Story in Sykesville, Foxtail Bookshop, Warwick's in California. Um, if, if you read on a Kindle, it's available for ebook. And um, also it's at Costco. <laughs> so, oh, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> I have never gotten Costco placement. I've gotten Target, but never Costco. That's a, I've that's never, a, it was my first Costco. I was thrilled, thrilled that, about that. That is a bucket list. Day, and I was like, yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Well, I will go and check that out at my local Costco too, but I, I have the Kindle version. Um, and you are at ericarobuck.com. Is that correct? Yeah. And I'm usually my favorite social media. I love Instagram. I like the pretty pictures yeah, and the, the little book tableau of coffee with book. You know, that's where I feel happiest. So that I, I agree with you. I have gotten rid of almost all other social media except for Instagram where I still am. There you so, go. Yep. Thank you so much for chatting with me. It has been a oh, delight. Thank you. thank you. It was great talking to oh. you. All right. Well, good luck and may it fly from the shelves. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and good luck to you too. Thanks. Bye, Erica. Take care. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. <laughs>